Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us, either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let's stand as we read God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, there will be one on the screen behind me, and you can follow along. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You may be seated. How many of you struggle with distractions? Uh, we live in a day of constant distraction. Some of you feel like you have a PhD in multitasking, which ultimately means you have a very short attention span. <laughs> uh, there is even the thunder just distracted me. Distraction is a big issue, not, not only just in, in our own personal life, but sadly, distracted driving is a serious issue in our country. Distracted driving kills nine people every hour in the United States. Very sad. Uh, we are distracted by those little boxes that we have in our pockets or in our purses, those little things called the phone, the smartphone. Matter of fact, 2007, the world as we knew it changed with the advent of the iPhone. And as a matter of fact, a study was done uh, by business insiders that found that the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day iPhone, uh, the uh, Apple did a, a study and found that iPhone users, yes, they know how you use your phone. iPhone users unlock their devices 80 times every day. 33% of Americans check their phone in the middle of the night just in case they miss out on something. So that's one out of every three of you. So if it wasn't your neighbor to your left or your right, then it's got to be you. We are addicted to the dopamine that we get every time we get a ding or a buzz. It just flutters our heart. But yet all of us know that in our highly caffeinated, highly distracted world, it does not produce healthy, balanced, productive people. As a matter of fact, it produces the opposite. Distraction keeps us, we're going to talk about this in a moment, from being in the moment. It keeps us from meaningful 
conversations. It keeps us uh, from really uh, breaking through the shallow uh, because we're always constantly distracted. You know, one of the tales you can have when you're having lunch or dinner with somebody is where they put their phone when, they're, when you're eating with them. So if they put it on the table, that means I'll talk to you unless I get something else important. And so if somebody else important pops up, then my phone's here, we'll talk. If they put it away, then maybe you have a little bit more. But we are constantly distracted. As a husband, as a father, it's a struggle in my life because it's very hard to give undivided attention because of distraction. Well, we are today talking about distraction. And you say, how does this fit in the series on the Sabbath? How does this fit in the series of rest? And the reason why we don't Sabbath, uh, the reason we don't rest is because we are distracted. And so what we've looked looked at these few weeks is that Sabbath is about reorienting and reassuring our hearts and minds on God. And to do that, to reorient and reassure our hearts, it requires that we put away things that distract us from the most important. And so this series has taught us is that there needs to be a rhythm uh, to work and to rest and that we must resist our old identity as a slave and, re- and embrace and rest in our new identity as a son or a daughter of God. And, and, and we need to take time to rest. And if we don't Sabbath, then what we learn in the life of Elijah is that God will put us in situations where we must Sabbath so that he can teach us that he is God, he is good, and all we need is him. And so today, as we get towards the end of this series, next week will be our last one in this, we're going to talk about how the distractions of our lives can keep us from focusing on the most important person of our lives, Jesus Christ, the only one who can give us rest for our souls. And so we're in Luke chapter 10, and Luke is, we are like in the middle of the book of Luke. If you're new to the Bible, uh, this is one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here, all of those four books are all about Jesus. And Jesus in Luke 10 is training his disciples, his followers to be disciples who make disciples. And it's kind of a turning point in chapter 10 because Jesus here has now set his face towards Jerusalem to die on the cross and to raise from the dead. Jesus knows that his time is getting short and that his time with his disciples is, are, is very precious. And so Jesus uses every interaction uh, that he has as a teaching point for his disciples to prepare them for life and ministry. So all of chapters 9, 10, even 11 are about life and ministry with Jesus. Now, side note, one interesting thing you'll see about Jesus is that Jesus is constantly busy but he's never in a hurry. Jesus took time to live in the moment and to enjoy the opportunities that he had. And so at the end of chapter 10, uh, he's gonna take an opportunity to go visit some friends, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, and he's gonna have a meal with them. He's going to teach them in the house. And this story that only appears in Luke's gospel is gonna talk about two sisters. If you're new to church, maybe this is a new story. If you've been in church all your life, you've probably heard this story. It's about two sisters, Mary and Martha. Both loved Jesus, but, but one of these was distracted in their love for Jesus. And so it's an example of how distractions in life can keep us from the presence of Jesus. Even in this message this morning, the distractions of life may keep you from the very presence of Jesus. And so Jesus in this story is going to teach us that being is greater than doing and that worship is better than worrying. So let's just jump in. First, let's look at Martha and look at her restlessness. And what we're gonna see is that restlessness comes when we emphasize doing over being and worrying over worship or instead of worship. 
Verse 38, when Jesus was on their way, they were on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus went to a village. This village is the village of Bethany. I've been there. Uh, it's about two, three miles from Jerusalem. And so an invitation was extended to Jesus. Uh, this is a hospitality culture. And so if, if you had a family friend who was going through town, they didn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express. They stayed at your house. Uh, you didn't take them out to dinner. You fed them dinner at home. And so Martha knew and heard that Jesus was, uh, and his entourage was coming into uh, Bethany. And so uh, her sister Mary and Lazarus, uh, Lazarus is the, 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 the kind of the guy that was uh, raised from the dead. If you remember that story in John 11, uh, so Martha opens her house up because a part of that Eastern, Middle Eastern culture is a culture of hospitality. I, I just left there. And one of the things that I've learned over the years that I've gone there is that the, you cannot have an empty glass or an empty plate. And so I learned very early when I go to someone's house to not drink all the tea. Because if so, you will drink like eight cups of tea uh, and you will be buzzing around and having to use the bathroom. And so... Uh, because in that culture, an empty glass was a shame on the family. An empty plate was a shame on the family. And so Jesus comes into Bethany, goes into Martha's, Lazarus, and Mary's home, probably a pretty wealthy home, pretty big home. And then the scene is said in verse 39 that while Martha is working, uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, again, you've probably heard this before, but maybe you haven't. In first century Jewish world, uh, women did not study under uh, the rabbi. Uh, women did not sit in the same room as the other men. And women definitely did not sit at the feet of the rabbi as the other disciples. But, but yet there seems to be a level of comfort here. This would have been very scandalous in first century Israel. But here there's a level of comfort that Jesus had and the disciples had with these two sisters. And so Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, soaking in every word that Jesus says. Now, most sermons on this text kind of paint Martha out to be a bad person, but Martha is not a bad person. She's the one that invited Jesus and his group to come. She's the one cooking the food. She's the one who set up the finger food. So she made sure that the ranch was there for the carrots and the crackers and the cheese and the little finger foods. And, and she made the tarts and, and she made sure the house was clean and, and she's gotten everything ready. Some scholars say that there may have been even up to a hundred people in Martha's home. And so Martha is being a blessing and we need people like Martha. We need people who like to bless people. We need people who have the spiritual gift of hospitality, which all of us really should have. And so this story, the moral of this story is not quit working behind the scenes and just spend a perpetual time before the Lord and do nothing. No, we, we need people working behind the scenes. There are hundreds of people every weekend that work behind the scenes so that you can have church. Uh, this didn't just happen through osmosis. And so we need people working behind the scenes. We need people in the church serving. And so we want you to be serving here. So it's not just show up and, and throw in a couple bucks and then go have a great day. No, we want you to be serving in the church and serving outside of the church because God has gifted all of us in this room that are believers to serve. We need Marthas to serve. And yet there's a deeper issue here than just merely Martha's serving. And, and we're gonna get to that. Verse 40, uh, Luke tells us uh, that Martha was distracted with much serving. The only time that word distracted is found in the Greek New Testament. Uh, the word distracted, I've read, uh, actually comes from the French. Uh, 
and uh, it goes back to a medieval practice. So the French, uh, who did not create the fries, uh, actually Belgium, if you know anything, this is good for you. If you're ever on Jeopardy, <laughs> fries came from Belgium, but we called them French fries anyway. Um, but how they would, one of the ways that they would execute somebody, this is gonna seem very gruesome, is that they would, they would put somebody and all four of their limbs would be tied to a rope and then those ropes would be tied to horses and then they would send the horses away. And that was the French word, distracted. To be pulled in four different directions. <laughs> Again, probably not something you want to tell your friends tomorrow at work, but anyway... Martha was so busy. She was so distracted, so focused on the details. And so I can just see her. She is coming in and out of the room. You, you all know she's doing this. She, she's coming in and out of the room. And the entire time she's coming in the room, she sees Mary and Mary is giving the stink eye. I mean, the entire time focusing on Mary. And I can maybe even see like, you know, and this going on and there's nothing happening here. And all of you have probably been where Mary has been. You're the one working and the other person is just sitting there and doing nothing. And probably if we would have been in the room with Martha and not known the entire story, we probably would have agreed with Martha that maybe Mary should have got off of her rear and got in and helped and did some things. I don't know, but here's what I do know. It got to the point, the frustration overflowed in Martha's heart that she had to go to Jesus. So Jesus, perhaps mid speaking, or maybe they took a coffee break. I don't know, but she comes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. It's kind of a passive aggressive rebuke. <laughs> Mary's hearing this. And in her mind, she's like, Jesus, don't you understand how much I'm doing here? Do you understand you showing up wasn't an easy task? This is hard. And I feel like I'm being taken for granted that my sister is sitting there on her, on her tail doing nothing and I'm here doing it all. And so in this moment, she and her heart saying, you know what, Jesus, you're gonna agree with me. I know Jesus is gonna agree with me. But instead, verse 41, the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha. When I hear this, I don't know if this is TV land coming into my head, but I hear Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> All of you middle schoolers in the room, what does that mean? Ask your grandma, okay? <laughs> Martha, Martha. It's a doubling of the name. You'll see this all throughout the, the Bible. A doubling of the name is a term of endearment. So Jesus is not upset. It's kind of, oh dear, Martha, Martha. He loves her, but he's gonna gently rebuke her, okay? So it's almost like Jesus saying, bless your heart, honey. <laughs> and so Jesus gets straight to her heart and he comes with very uh, compassion, but comes with frankness. See, she wants Jesus to fix the situation. She wants Jesus to make Mary help her. But what Jesus wanted to do is to fix her. He says, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Martha, the issue isn't Mary. The issue is you. Well, isn't that amazing? Like in sermons, you'll hear a sermon and you think of all the people that you wished were here to hear that sermon. <laughs> when it's really about you, <laughs> And about me, you, you're anxious, you're stirred up, you, you're troubled, you're 
tossed about. You, you are all worked up. Now, Jesus does not rebuke her servant heart. He rebukes her anxious heart. Jesus diagnoses Martha with an unhappy, unsettled, unanchored heart. Martha is the kind of person that needed to be needed. That her significance, her value, her worth was the fact that people needed her, that she was someone that people would look to in times of crisis. And she, she found a joy in that. And, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be useful, but when you make that the center and the sole reason for your existence, it gets problematic. Martha was trying to control the situation. It was out of her control. Martha was wanting this moment to be special. Like she's like the original Martha Stewart. <laughs> she wanted this to just be that special moment that everyone would remember. That, 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 that Kodak moment. The Kodak doesn't exist anymore, but that whole, you know, everybody's just going to think about all oh, that time we went to Martha's house. And it was so good. The tea and the crumpets were amazing. But what you're going to see is this, is that she was limited by her humanity, but expected her work to reflect the perfection of divinity. You know, much of our anxiety comes from that, doesn't it? Much of our anxiety comes from unrealistic expectations we place on ourselves. Much of our anxiety comes also from the overestimation of unimportant things. John Maxwell said this, he says, it's hard to overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. Much of what we worry about, much of what we find so much angst over 10,000 years from now doesn't matter. And yet we allow unimportant things keep us from enjoying and experiencing truly important things. Jesus says to Martha, Martha, one thing, one thing is necessary. All these other things are nice, but there's only one thing that's necessary. And here's the crazy thing. This woman was so overwhelmed by the task, so overwhelmed about making herself look good that she focused on the most, she forgot to focus on the most important person. She doesn't live in the moment and the moment almost passed her by. You know, it doesn't matter where I go or where probably you've gone. You could go to the nicest restaurant in town. Uh, you can go to the beautiful, the most beautiful, gorgeous uh, hotel or beach resort. You, you can go to some of the most exciting places on the face of the planet. And you will typically find this. People staring at their phones. The other day I was on a high mountain in the Middle East. And the entire group, there was an entire group of young people. I'm not picking on young people because there were some older people. And instead of sitting and just looking at the breathtaking view, they were doing everything they could to make sure they got a good selfie. It's right in front of you and you're so consumed with making sure your hair looks good. And even if you use 5,000 filters, it still won't compare to what's in front of you, Right? I mean, I look good in a filter, right? I, I, I do. 
But here's the thing. Instead of living in the moment, most of us are oblivious to the opportunities. John Ortberg said that for many of us, the danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre, a mediocre version of it. That we will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. Jesus, God Almighty, came to this woman's house. And instead of spending time with him, she exchanged it for trying to impress him. Let me just tell you something right now. This is going to help a lot of you. You can't impress Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't. I can't. No one can. Imagine someone, this is, I heard a pastor say this. And I thought it was very good. He said, imagine someone coming to Martha the next day. Say, I heard Jesus was in your house. How did that go? What, what did he say? What, what did he talk about? What did he teach? Was there, were there any miracles that took place? Martha, what, what was your experience like? Well, I don't know. I was too busy in the kitchen. Too busy serving. I, I didn't really get to hear what he had to say. Wow. So, so uh, this, another scholar said that had Martha been there with Jesus the entire time, there may have been another miracle that had taken place. The miracle of the washing of the dishes. <laughs> but now we don't have that miracle in scriptures. The crazy irony is, is that Martha felt the weight of the world was on her shoulders, but the one who upholds the universe was sitting in her living room. You know, many of you feel like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. Your marriage, your, your parenting. You got to make sure your kids are athletes, right? You got to make sure that they get into an Ivy League school, that they have a good future. You think about your career and your career advancement and then your retirement. Don't look at your 401k is all I can say. Don't do it. Just don't do it. If you do it, don't do it, okay? You worried about your life. And instead of worshiping the one who's in control, you're trying to take control. See, in this moment, she was worrying about the dishes and not worshiping Jesus. And her worry caused her to doubt Jesus' love for her. He, she says, do you not care? When we get so consumed by the things of this world, we, we start to disbelieve the gospel. We think, and silently tell ourselves, well, if I don't do as much as I possibly can, then I'm never going to make it in life. Or I'm going to fall behind if I don't do some more. And if I fall behind, I won't be accepted. And, and if I fall behind, I'm going to disappoint somebody and I'm never going to measure up. And we allow those things come in our heads. And that's why this entire series, we've talked about the lies that we tell ourselves because those distractions keep us from the Sabbath. Those distractions keep us from rest. Those distractions keep us from Jesus. And even you can come to church distracted. Some of you right now, you're distracted. Restlessness comes when you focus and emphasize doing over being. Restlessness comes when you 
when you really sacrifice worshiping for worry, that when you emphasize worry over worship. But here we're gonna see Mary. The one thing you'll notice here, she's not upset. She's restful. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Restfulness comes when we emphasize being overdoing and worship over worry. Verse 42, Mary has chosen. Jesus speaks for Mary. Uh, Mary doesn't speak in this story, but what she does speaks volumes. She chose to be with Jesus. Doesn't mean she was lazy or passive. She just took full advantage of her opportunity. Where is she? As I've said a moment ago, she's at the feet of Jesus. That means that she's focused on him. She sat in the front row. So you front row Christians in the room, God bless you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I, sit, I like to sit in front row, mainly so I'm not distracted, right? Front row Baptist, cheap seats. Further back, more expensive. Matter of fact, the further back you sit, the more we're expecting you to give today. <laughs> she's activated, she's sitting, she's submissive, she's focused, she's submissive. She, she cares more about what Jesus said to her than what Martha thought about her. Jesus says she chose the good portion. Now, what portion are you talking about? The good portion of cake, <laughs> the good portion of chicken. What does she choose? That is, she chose the best thing. Martha, you chose the good thing, but, Martha, but Mary really chose the best thing. And Martha, you, you fixated on the temporary, but, but Mary was focused on the eternal. This word portion's interesting. You'll find it in the Old Testament, Psalms 70. 3, 25, 26, Psalmist says, who have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lamentations 3, 4, 24 and 25, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Mary here chose the good portion. She chose to be in the presence of God. Do you understand that as a Christian, you can be in the very presence of God? You don't have to just come to church to be in the presence of God. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need anyone. You can be in the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And worship is not just something you do once a week for an hour. Worship is a lifestyle. It's, it's how you live your life. And so that's why worship on the Lord's day is important when we gather with the saints of God, gather in the house of God, singing the praises of God, the glory of God, that's great. But worship on Sunday should not just be the only time you worship. Worship on Sunday should be the overflow, the culmination of the worship happening during the week. The one way that I can tell that I am worshiping during the week is that I am full of energy and worshiping on, the, in, on Sundays. And some of you, sometimes you kind of, instead of leaping into church, you kind of creep into church and you kind of sour and, why? Because maybe you've not been worshiping during the week. You can't just show up and expect to just get your worship on. You, you, it's kind of like a, a marathon runner can't just expect to just show up, sign up, run, and make it without dying. I mean, you've got you've to get some reps in. You've got to get your cardio up. You, you can't just eat a junk food diet. Because here's the thing, you cannot work a bad diet. You just can't. I mean, you can work out seven times a day, but if you're eating Twinkies and, 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 and chugging on Mountain Dew um, and smoking a bunch of cigarettes and eating a bunch of fast food, you can't just show up to a marathon expecting, you're gonna struggle. You're gonna struggle. 
So if you during the week are just chowing down on junk and you're not really spending any time with the Lord, you're going to struggle. It's going to show. When you sweat, it's going to smell like the hell of this world. Because if you put garbage in, guess what comes out? Garbage. Mary chose the best thing and it was the necessary thing, but it was her choice. Martha had a choice too. It was her choice. Every day you and I are offered a choice. Do we want the junk of this world or do we want Jesus? If we want to really make it in life, we need Jesus. Again, I go back to what's going to matter 10,000 years from now. 10,000 years from now, what is going to be important? And a lot of things that we think are important are not going to matter, matter at all. And those things that we maybe see as brush off as unimportant are going to be really what matters. And so here, Mary says, I'm going to choose the good portion, the eternal portion, the helpful portion. Now, I don't want you to leave here thinking that there is now I have to choose. I got to either be Martha that works and worries or I've got to be Mary who just sits and worships. Again, I want to go back to this message is not a clarion call for you to do nothing but worship and sit in quiet time and like read a Bible. It's not what I'm saying here. Here's what I'm telling you. You can do both. The difference is instead of worrying in your work, you can worship while you work. And so here's what I found. If you worship before you go to work, you'll worship while you're at work. And if you just see your job as your mission field, see, that'll change your life. If you see going to work tomorrow, some of you that will go to work tomorrow, if you see that as your mission field, that you're in ministry tomorrow, what worship does on Sundays, it fuels you to go out during the week. But you know, you're gonna need more than just to pick me up on Sunday. One hour a week ain't gonna cut it. That's like eating one day, one meal a week. It ain't gonna cut it. Every day should be a culmination. And so here's what Jesus says. Jesus says that she's chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. Now there's two kind of points to that. One in the immediate, Martha, I love you girl, but she's staying right here. She's chosen the good portion. That's the immediate. The eternal is that Mary will have Jesus forever and that Jesus will never be taken away from Mary and nothing will ever take Mary away from Jesus. And so the good portion is Jesus. Martha, the good portion is not in the kitchen. The good portion is in the living room. Think about this. Jesus actually says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. He says, blessed are your eyes to see for the prophets and kings desire to see what you see and hear what you hear. Do you understand that for millennia, millions of people long to have Jesus in their living room? <laughs> that, that on this side of the cross, millions of people for millennia have longed to know what you and I know, to have the word of God, to have the spirit of God living in us. We have the best. And if you are in him, you have him forever and nothing will separate you from his love. And so what I want you to leave here is with this, is that all other things other than Jesus that you are consumed with will eventually be taken away. Almost everything that's distracting you right now will be eventually taken away from you. You realize that if you live long enough, your career, you're going to have to retire or you can't do it anymore or you're just really out of date. You realize that when you die, all the money you've accumulated 
is going to be given to your kids if you have them and they're just going to waste it? <laughs> if you don't believe me, I mean, John talked about a book of Ecclesiastes. Read Ecclesiastes. You make money, you die, you leave it to kids that don't know what to do with it and it's gone. All the power that you feel like you have right now, the health, sports scores. Listen, and I, listen, I heed this with sin. I got sin, okay? We're gonna lay it down at the altar in a moment. These Kentucky sports scores, Daniel, if you're in the room, help me. This is group therapy here for the rest of you heathens. Won't matter. Like, like I know Kentucky beat Florida last year. Y'all know that? But it doesn't matter, right? That's right. That's what all the Gator fans say. That's why when we lost like 33 years in a row, it didn't matter. 10,000 years from now won't matter. All those social media notifications won't matter. The only thing that will ever matter is Jesus Christ. And he's the necessary one. And look, I, I let you say, what does this have to do with Sabbath? The reason that you and I don't Sabbath, the reason that you and I don't rest is because we're distracted. We're distracted. We're distracted from Jesus. That's what Satan wants to do. Corey Tim Boone says, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So here's, I wanna leave with you some practical stuff and then we're gonna end and I know we'll all be happy because your, your phones are going off. <laughs> Seven suggestions to help you spend time with Jesus. Here's what I wanna say. I wanna give you these seven, but moms and dads help your kids. Kids help your parents. Husbands and wives help each other. Seven things. Number one, take time each day to be in God's word undistracted. If you read your Bible on the phone, anybody read their Bible on the phone? If you read your Bible on the phone, put it on D&D or don't go after it. Just read it, do it undistracted, okay? Don't think you're gonna get your time with the Lord and his word during rush hour. I mean, you kind of do it undistracted. Two, spend at least seven minutes each day in prayer. Seven minutes, wow, that didn't seem like a lot. It's a lot if you're not used to doing it. One of the ways I do it, I calendar it, it's in my phone. But one of the ways I do it is prayer walk. Seven minutes, prayer walk. Walk around your neighborhood. Don't bring your phone with you. And here's the good news. You say, what about if I see somebody and, and they see me? If they see you talking to yourself, they'll leave you alone. <laughs> they will. They just leave you, <laughs> they just leave you alone. <laughs> okay. Spend seven minutes. Why you say seven? Try it. Keep going if you need to. Seven minutes. Three, listen to worship music. Don't listen to junk. I, I, I like all kinds of music. You'd be surprised what I know. Listen to godly music. Garbage in, garbage out. Young people, listen. I know you might like some of those people. I, I'll start mentioning names, but then I would get emails. And I won't mention them. But <laughs> listen to godly music. Take 15 minutes once a week to spend in complete solitude and quiet. Say nothing, just be before the Lord. Make Sunday morning worship a priority every week. 
Parents, if you don't make Sunday morning worship a priority, I guarantee your kids won't. Guarantee it. Here's what I found with a lot of people. If we have nothing else to do, we'll go to church. That can't be it. Everything else must be subservient to being with God's people in God's house. Have a conversation. Next one, have a conversation with other believers about the word each week. Be in a group. Be around people, discipleship group. Number seven, look for things that are distracting you from the things above and find a way to limit, to limit or eliminate them. John Owen said, be killing sin before sin kills you. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your left hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, he doesn't say literally do that, but there's gonna be radical mortification. For some of you, you might just need to get a, a stupid phone instead of a smartphone, because you're wondering. You've got to eliminate it. What I'm teaching you today is not about behavior modification. It's about heart orientation. A distracted mind comes from a dissatisfied heart. And that's why the issue is not a behavioral issue, it's a gospel issue. And the reason why we are distracted by so many things is that we think those things can fill our hearts more than Jesus. But when you see that Jesus is the true lover of your soul, that Jesus can give you everything your heart's desires are, when you see that Jesus is the good portion, it will change your life. You'll be able to rest. You'll be able to worship and you won't be as distracted. Let me in with this. Every time I'm out of the country and go on a, on a trip, and I'm very grateful that you all allow me to go and be a part of trips to help inspire our workers and other believers literally around the world. But every time I go, I'm very, very humbled by the people I meet with. And so I met this young guy, he's 27. He's single, ladies, just letting you know. He wanted me to tell you that. <laughs> um, he's a Syrian refugee living in another country. Um, and he comes from a Muslim family. About two, three years ago, someone invited him to see a film about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. And it stirred in his heart. Uh, he had kind of had a dream that came to him and he gave his life to Jesus and was being discipled by some of our workers in this country. And um, sweet young man. And we were there in his house, his rented house, no electricity. I think they get electricity one hour a day. They call it the hour of power. <laughs> and you never know when it's gonna come on. <laughs> And we were there and he had nothing, but yet he was serving us what he had. And we were talking about his life and he just, he's, he's a gospel sharing machine. He shares Jesus with everybody. And um, he was telling us about his situation. He's been threatened. He was really fearful about what his parents, mom and dad would think. Thankfully they weren't as upset, but there's always a fear of other family members who may seek retribution. Uh, he has, has been beaten. He's been robbed. He told me about a time where his, he saved up his money because he's, because he's a refugee, he can't use a bank. And so he had all this bunch of money and some guy came in and just robbed him completely. And so we talked about just his struggle and the struggle of the church in this country. And, and we talked about persecution. And, and one of the things he said is this, he says that the more you grow in Jesus, 
the more persecution you get, but the more you're able to grow from it. And then, and then he asked, well, what's the church like in America? What's it like in America? How, how hard is it to be a Christian in America? <laughs> and I said, well, compared to you, it's not that hard at all in some regards, because we don't have that same persecution. And um, I, said, I said to this guy, starts, name starts with a W. I, I said, in, in, a, in the Middle East, it seems like that Satan wants to defeat you with persecution. So he just, he lobs all these horrible things at you to try to get you to denounce your faith and to discourage your heart and to defeat you. But I said in America, he doesn't use persecution as much as he uses distraction. That he, he that we have everything and, and those things distract us and we have everything we want. And so we're always distracted and that distraction keeps us from Jesus and that distraction keeps us from being around God's people. That distraction keeps us from the Bible and it keeps us from prayer and it keeps us from the presence of Jesus. And I never will forget, I was starting to tell him this stuff and he looked at me and he says, I would rather have persecution than that. And I melted here's a guy who would rather be tortured and beaten and robbed for Jesus than to live in a way that would distract him from Jesus. Church, I am afraid that because we live in one of the nicest cities in America, in the, in the greatest country in the world, with everything we'd ever wanted, I'm afraid that our, the reason why our Christianity is so lukewarm is because we are distracted. And we've allowed everything in the world, everything in the politics, everything else to distract us from worshiping Jesus. And here's the thing, all these things that are distracting you didn't die on the cross for you. All these things you're killing yourself for, none of them will ever die for you. But there's one who did. And his name is Jesus. And he's the one thing that's necessary for your life. So would you just bow your heads, close your eyes, and just speak to the Lord. And maybe you're here and you're not even a Christian. You're like, what is this all about? And maybe you're hearing that voice. Maybe it's Jesus saying, trust me as Savior. Turn your life over to me. I'm here. Maybe you're here and you need to say, God, forgive me for being so distracted by the things of this world. Help me to rest in you, to focus on you, that it's okay if I'm just with you because being with you is better than anything I would ever do for you. Father, in Jesus' name, do what only you can do so that you get the glory for it all. Bring us back to a heart of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and let's sing that song, Heart of Worship. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.